going to be talking about family today. And one of the, the strongest predictors that you've got throughout your entire life of being happy is, do you have a healthy family? Around the globe, it is the basic unit of human connection. If you think about even our names, our names oftentimes come to us from family, like our, our last names. It, it ties us into a family often. And, that, and that's true across, across cultures. And so as we continue this series this June on Ruth on relationships, I want to begin today by highlighting the simple truth is that the family that is created in the book of Ruth is not, not a family of blood relations. It's all about the family we choose. Last week, we heard the story about Naomi, and she, she left Bethlehem, and she went to live as a refugee 25 miles away in a different nation, in, in Moab. And she was doing that to escape, dr escape drought and famine. And at first, her husband went with her, and things were okay. But by the end of 10 years there, she and had lost not only her homeland, but she had lost her husband and both of her sons. And so she decided to head back to Bethlehem once the, the crops began to grow there again. Naomi left the place where she had been and her two daughters-in-law went with her. They went along the road to return to the land of Judah. Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, turn back, each of you to the household of your mother. May the Lord deal faithfully with you, just as you have done with the dead and with me. May the Lord provide for you so that you may find security, each woman in the household of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. But they replied to her, No, instead we will return with you to your people. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth stayed with her. Naomi said, Look, your sister-in-law is returning to her people and to her gods. Turn back after your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to abandon you to turn back from following after you. Wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there be buried. May the Lord do this to me, and more so, even if death separates me from you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her about it. What Ruth pledges to Naomi is so beautiful. You hear it sometimes at weddings. It's a, it's a, it's a scripture that we read oftentimes at, we, at weddings. And it is one person binding her life to another. And I have a feeling in a couple of weeks, Pastor Michael is going to have some pretty incredible things to say about, say about that. But it doesn't just stop with weddings. Naomi has no living blood relations, so far as we can tell. There is definitely nobody who steps up to help her. 
Yet in the second chapter of Ruth, you get to meet Boaz, and he is connected through Naomi through her, her dead husband. But he's not a, a blood relation. Now Naomi had a respected relative, a man of standing, through her husband from the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field so that I may glean among the ears of grain behind someone who, in whose eyes I might find favor. Naomi replied to her, go my daughter. So she went. She arrived and she gleaned in the field behind the harvesters. By chance, it happened to be the portion of the field that belonged to Boaz. So you know what gleaning is? Gleaning is it's, so this is an old custom. What it was was is that people went through and they would harvest a crop and they would leave just a little bit of things that, you know, along so that poor people could come and glean, could cut, could cut the remaining grain so that they had food. It was a custom, it was actually prescribed in the law that it had to be that way. It was a form of social welfare to make sure everybody had enough to eat. Anyway, as Ruth was in the field gleaning behind the harvesters, Boaz noticed Ruth. Ruth noticed Boaz. And Naomi had a plan. I'm going to skip forward just a little bit, but it was a plan that results in a baby, her, her grandson, Obed, who again, she is not genetically related to in any way, but it's her grandson. Now, Obed is going to go on to become King David's grandfather and Jesus' ancestor. Pretty important kid. All of these people, all of the people in this story chose to become family. Way too often people limit their definition of family to people that they have some sort of a blood connection with. Or some people only define family as households with children in them. But it's clearly, clearly much more than that. And, and I think about, think about this. This is something that plays into all of our lives at some point. A lot of, when it comes to making decisions on behalf of vulnerable people, children and older adults, our laws, our rules tend to favor biological connections. And I'm going to tell you, after lots of years of working with that, that's not always a good thing. I think the faith of Jesus has, has something to consider to, to open minds and hearts to a different way, what Martha was talking about, a different way of viewing family. Jesus and his church saw family as something more. They saw that family are the people that you choose, that you pledge yourself to, that you covenant with. Sharing direct genetics with somebody was far less, far less important than spirit of adoption. They saw it like this. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back into fear, but you received a spirit that shows you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, 
The same spirit agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. But if we are children, we are also heirs. Those people who shared the same spiritual values, the same values as Jesus, are adopted into the family, the church. And yet, sometimes when you hear people talk about their church family, it, but to some ears, that can sound exclusive, like a club almost, or it can even sound unhealthy. So this past week, I did something. Last week, I kind of hinted I was going to do this, and I did. So I hadn't done this for a while, but I went to a coffee shop, and I put out this sign. What do you think I heard? <laughs> it was, I was right. It, it did take a while, but a few people did actually come and sit down and share their thoughts with me. And yes, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that statistically, the loneliest generation is Generation Z, the people who are in their late teens and early 20s right, early 20s right now. And Interestingly, they were the ones who came and sat down with me at the coffee shop. And my, I'm going to just say this. Their impression of church is far, far from inclusive, compassionate family. And so my, my goal wasn't to try to convince them that they were wrong. But when asked why I devoted my life to serving church, I was honest and I was open about how despite the horror stories of those who claim to follow Jesus and things that they have done, there is still something so compelling to me about Jesus' vision for the world. That vision of the kingdom of God, the thing that he preached again and again, that it goes beyond the division of politics. It goes beyond ethnicity. It goes beyond religion itself. That I still hold on that the first best hope for humanity is to make compassionate love the center of who we are, how we live. So one of the, the, the young men that I spoke to, he was, he was in his 20s, about mid-20s, and he did not feel comfortable being re recorded for today, and I, and I completely understand that. But he said he had actually gone to church a few times. He had gone to a worship service. And he said he sat in a row, like you are, and he said he listened to a message, and then he was asked to sing some songs that he did not know, and pray. And he said it really, it wasn't bad, but he said, you know, I could get that from YouTube. Okay. So I asked him, I said, tell me about a time where you felt most at one, at one at peace even, with people around you. And he smiled and he said that he would never want to admit this openly because he knew he'd get given a hard time. But evidently he saw that talking to some pastor that he never had met before, I was okay, but whatever. Um, but he told me this. He said the place where he felt most welcome and included and loved was at a Taylor Swift concert. He said there were people of all ages and races and genders and sexualities. 
And there was this sense of love and acceptance amongst the Swifties. And he said, he remembered this because he accidentally knocked somebody down at the concert. So they were, they were kind of dancing and he knocked somebody down. And as he helped her up, he expected he was going to get yelled at. Instead, she res responded and she said, hey, we're all in it together. I I'm okay. And she hugged him. He said he, he completely didn't expect that. And he described the feeling as if they were all one big family. I did not know that church is supposed to be like a Taylor Swift concert. Now he paid $1,000 for a ticket for a few hours to have the experience of church, of, of family. Now, he could have listened to all of Taylor Swift's stuff on YouTube for free, but for the experience of being with the Swifties, he was all in. I didn't know it, but as I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about Taylor Swift, and I thought, it kind of makes me feel like she's the cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers. Church, for it to be really church, it needs to have the same feeling of adoption, that same adoptive family of Jesus fans to come together around those, those values of inclusivity and compassion, of nonviolence, justice and mercy. It actually does sound a lot like what it means to be a Swifty, minus the vengeance on ex-boyfriends. <laughs> what it comes down to is this. The spirit of adoption goes and creates an inclusive family centered around compassion. And that doesn't just go back to Jesus. That goes all the way back to Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. It has been here the whole time. There was a younger adult in our church community who was just telling me how, how she wished that there was a way to connect our older adults in the congregation with kids and with younger people to have honorary grandparents in a way. You know, we can do that. How wonderful, what a blessing that is. It's a blessing to everyone. And so on this day where we're having new church leaders come in, I'm going to ask the new church leaders, is that something that we can make happen in this community? Of course it is. Are they willing to help lead and make that happen? There is so much that a church community like ours can do when we have a spirit of adoption, inclusion, and compassion. And maybe it's time. Maybe it's time that we understand the need to experience family like that, not just for ourselves, because there's a whole lot of people who need to, to feel that. Because we've been here all along. And maybe it's time people see that they belong. Now, it has been a while since we've had a dance break where we have danced for joy and hope. And so this morning, we are joining Swifties with Taylor Swift's number one song. So please rise if you feel like you need to move a little bit, or just listen along and watch, and watch the video. Sing along 
if you know the words. Please rise.